Take your Bibles and go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. The Lord has a way of of preparing um, and providing exactly what the Christian needs even before they know they need it. And uh, the passage that we come to today in Romans speaks directly to where I believe we are at as a church today. And I pray that this message is as much an encouragement to you as it has been to me this week, even in in preparation, not knowing um, that Ian would pass away yesterday. But um, I want to begin our time with prayer, and then we're going to jump right in here, okay? So let's pray together. Our Father, we ask that as we open your word that you will... Show us things about yourself that maybe we haven't understood before. Father, the Holy Spirit will work in our hearts in a way that we desperately need. And that your word would be used to draw us close to you and to make us more like your son. Father, we pray that you will be magnified and lifted high in this place today. Not just in our individual hearts, but Father, in us as a church. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, if I could give just a very simple outline for where we've been in, in Romans up to this point, it would go something like this. You have, the, you have Romans chapter 1 where you've got the greeting from the Apostle Paul, and he gives us the theme of the book of Romans. The theme of Romans is found in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, where Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ excuse me, ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So then the very next verse, verse 18 in chapter 1, All the way up through chapter 3, verse 20, Paul shows just how bad we are off apart from Christ. The rest of chapter 3 is all about how salvation is found in Jesus. It's through faith in him. Uh, Last week we looked at chapter 4, and really we bit off that massive chunk of chapter 4 because it's one great big example of Abraham and how um, we see his example of faith and how his example of faith fuels our faith. His faith was counted to him as righteousness, and the same way for us today, our faith in Jesus alone is counted to us as righteousness. Today we're jumping into Romans chapter 5, and we're going to see how we have peace with God through faith. Now, when we get to chapter 5, there is a noticeable shift in the way that this book feels. Um, Chapters 1 through 4 was very heavily arguing for the sake of the gospel. Um, It's like you can feel Paul pleading with his readers Um, to internalize and to understand the truth of the gospel. Chapter 5 turns into a celebration of the gospel. In fact, you're going to find the word rejoice three different times in chapter 5. He says rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Mainly what he's talking about is rejoice in the beauty of the gospel. The gospel is not just for the head, as we saw all through chapters 1 through 4. The gospel is also for the heart and the emotions As you embrace and as you take on the gospel and you live out the gospel, it's going to affect and change the way that you live your life. The predominant idea of Romans chapter 5 is peace with God. 
And so if you're taking notes, those are three words that you want to write down, maybe they're in your Bible or maybe at the top of your notes. Chapter 5, the predominant idea is peace with God. Look at Romans chapter 1, and excuse me, not chapter 1, <clears throat> chapter 5 and verse 1. The very first word you see there is the word therefore, meaning that because of what's been talked about already, here's the appropriate response. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, this is what Paul has been talking about, justification by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we need to camp out here for just a little bit, okay? Because there is a lot of people who have read that verse and they completely misunderstand the peace that's being talked about. There's two different types of peace that you find in the Bible. First of all, there is peace that is a subjective feeling. If you're taking notes, you want to write that down. Peace can be a subjective feeling. Or, on the other side of the equation... Peace can be a realistic state. So it's either a subjective feeling or it is a realistic state. Now, it can be both of them together, but spiritually speaking, one is vastly more important than the other. The peace of God, the subjective feeling, and the peace from God, or excuse me, with God, are two different things. The peace of God is a subjective feeling, and that's the peace that's referred to in Philippians chapter 4. And you, you recognize these verses, it's going to be on the screen so you can see this. But Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And then it says this, And the peace, what's that word? Of God. And the peace of of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, this verse is describing the subjective feeling of the peace of God that comes from prayer and, and, and supplication with thanksgiving. Um, this is the kind of peace that, that, honestly, a lot of us are crying out for right now. Um, our church is in a transition with, with me stepping away. Um, we are grieving the loss of, of Ian there are many of you who are going through very difficult things in life. There's a lot of people in our church who are crying out for this kind of peace right now. That they would be able to feel the peace of God. And you know, it's not wrong. It is absolutely not wrong to pray to have that kind of peace. God, I need your peace in these moments. I've prayed that many, many times over the last weeks and months. In fact, it's good for us to pray this for ourselves and pray it for other people. But there's a lot of people who think that Christianity is all about this feeling of peace. But don't get me wrong here, okay? A natural result of Christianity is feeling this peace of God. It's absolutely appropriate that we feel this peace of God. But peace has got to be something more. It's got to be that realistic state of peace with God. Which one would you rather have? If, 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 you could, if you could be honest with yourself, which one would you rather have? Would you rather have the feeling of peace or the reality of peace? 
One of those can, can lie to you and it, and it can fill you with a feeling that can fade away, but the other truthfully touches the state of your soul and its relationship with God. This is the difference between the peace of God and the peace with God. Listen, peace with God is not subjective, it is objective, with the object being God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God is not a feeling, it is a person, and it is not an emotion, it is a soul status. John MacArthur's preaching on this verse one time, and he said this. He said, the issue is not your attitude or, or confidence. It's not your emotional sense of well-being. It is, the, it is not the absence of fear and doubt. It's, it's not the presence of tranqu- tranquility. That's not what Paul's talking about here. What he's talking about is a relationship of peace rather than animosity. You have ceased to be an enemy of God and you have become a child of God. You have ceased to be a hater of God and you have become a lover of God. You've ceased to be a child of Satan and become a child of God. You've passed out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of God's dear son and the relationship of animosity has been dramatically altered and become a relationship of intimacy and loving fellowship. You know, a lot of people go through the motions of church and religiosity, wondering why in the world they ride the roller coaster of emotional peace and they've completely missed out on the intended object of peace. If you don't have peace with God, you will never truly have the peace of God. If there's no peace with God, there is no part of life that will be right. The peace with God can only come through Jesus Christ. And Paul, when he opens up this this chapter, he wants to make sure that his readers understand the importance of this peace with God. Look at verse 2. He says, through him, so through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, this is one of the richest verses in all of the Bible. And that's my opinion, okay? That's, I, I really believe this is a verse that's looked over oftentimes. It is theologically rich. And it would take a whole lot longer than we have here today to unpack all of it. But I want to, I want to try to unpack a little bit of it as we work through this, okay? Get the main ideas. First, there's the words, through him. Through him is talking about Jesus. Jesus is at the center of all of this. We have peace with God because of Jesus. We experience grace because of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It says there that through him we have also obtained access by faith. There's this really uh, famous political figure who spent his entire time traveling, and he was rarely at home. Um, There were a lot of people who demanded his time. He would meet with people, and oftentimes, if somebody wanted to meet with this person, he's so busy that it would take months to get on his schedule. This man had three kids, though, and he made sure that they understood that it didn't matter how busy he was, they had access to him anytime they needed it, day or night. He would drop what he was doing if they called him. Simply by the relationship they had with him, the kids had direct access to their, di- to their dad. It was an access that nobody else had except these kids. 
Jesus is the one who has given the Christian direct access to God. And as his children, we are directly connected to God at all times, day or night. Now, this gets even more significant when you think about it in terms of how access to God was granted in the Old Testament. For a high priest, and the high priest was the only one who could do this, not people in general, but for a high priest to have access to God, he had to access him through the Holy of Holies. It was a literal room that he would go into one time a year. Now, for the high priest to go into the Holy of Holies, he had to be ceremonially cleansed. And even then, he could only enter the Holy of Holies one time a year when he was perfectly cleansed according to the law. Sinful man has no access to God. I'll say that again. Sinful man has no access to God whatsoever. Their state of sin keeps them from communing with God. In the Old Testament, apart from that one time a year in which the high priest would would go into the Holy of Holies, for a human being to have access to the presence of God meant death. You could not have access to God. You could not get to God and his presence and his glory at all. And if you tried, it meant death. Isaiah, when he was convinced that he was going to die, he was convinced he was going to die because he got a glimpse of the glory of God. Uh, There were some men uh, such as um, Uzzah um, and Nabad and Ibahu and Korah and Dathan and Abiram. They were all men in the Old Testament who died because they sought access to God on their own terms. I want to get to God, and so they tried to go on their own terms, and God struck them dead because he has no fellowship with sinful man whatsoever. Their sin was confronted with the holiness of God, and their physical bodies perished because they were found wanting. But Jesus is the propitiation for our sin. And under the new covenant, God doesn't look at us as Christians, as sinful human beings anymore. He looks at us and he sees the righteousness of Jesus added to our account and it completely changes the dynamic of our access to God. Through him, Paul says, we have also obtained access to God, the God of the universe, our creator. How? By faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. If we tried to access God in any way apart from Jesus, then death would be the result. In fact, anyone who physically dies even now without having been justified by Jesus is trying to do just that. Whether they realize it or not, they are trying to access God apart from Jesus, and it can only lead to eternal death. It's the only outcome that can come from that. The reason is they don't have a righteousness worth standing upon. Eternal death would be the judgment for every single one of us apart from grace. As Christians, the grace of God is the foundation upon which we stand. We have no hope without God's grace. And Paul wraps up this this verse by saying that we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We can be filled with joyful praise as we look ahead to fully experiencing the glory of God. What we see on this earth right now is just a taste of the full glory of God. 
So then Paul follows up that thought. So remember, he started first with the peace with God and then the direct access to God. And then here's what he says, starting in verse 3. He says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, right about here, you say, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on, Paul. I'm good to rejoice in the great grace that it's given to me through Jesus, as you said back there in, in verse 2. I'm good with that. I'm great to rejoice in the hope of glory, but don't make me rejoice in my suffering. In fact, just keep the suffering at a minimum, and that sounds a whole lot more like the victorious Christian life that I want to live. You know what? We may not use those words. But that's often the soundtrack that's playing in the background of our lives. We want lives that are separate from suffering, that's protected from suffering. I had, I had intended today to preach all the way through verse 11, but I realized as I was studying and writing this week that, I, that this theology of, of peace with God and direct access to God and how it relates to suffering is something that we needed to camp out on and, and dwell on here today. So in the next few moments that we have left, I want to linger in this idea of, of suffering and break it apart for us some. In a moment, we're going to get to the verses that we just read. But first, here's a very simple reminder about what Jesus had to say about the suffering Christian. John chapter 16, verse 33, he says, I have said these things to you, my disciples, that in me you may have peace, in the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, this is at the end of Jesus' life, and he's leaving his, his, his disciples some, some parting comments. In fact, in just a few short hours, he was going to be arrested and later killed. But even at this late hour of Jesus' life, he's showing the disciples how they can have peace with God. It comes through faith, excuse me, yes, it comes through faith in him. But then he makes a really strange promise. In the world, you will have tribulation. In the world, you will have tribulation. Now, we most often think about the promises of God in relation to the good things that he promises, right? Promises of his presence, promises of wisdom and of help and of provision. Good things like those. Well, here's a not-so-good promise. In the world you will have tribulation. Why are we surprised when suffering happens in the life of a Christian when suffering is a promise of Jesus? What Jesus has promised is going to come to fruition. It doesn't matter the nature of the promise. What he says will happen. And this is a tough promise. In the world, you will have tribulation. But he doesn't stop there. Because he follows that up with, but take heart. Why? Because I have overcome the world. Because I have overcome the world. In this one verse, he's got this word world twice. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Here's what he's saying. You, Christian, my disciple, you are in this world for a time, and in this world you will have tribulation, but don't fear. Strengthen your mind and your heart and your body because I have overcome the world. The very thing that is giving you heartache has already been conquered by me. That's what he's saying. 
Yes, you are in this world, and yes, you are experiencing tribulation and suffering and trials, but take heart because I have overcome the world, the very thing that you were in. Suffering and a heartache that we're experiencing today has already been overcome. It's been paid for by Jesus. I think about 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10 that says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Jesus promised suffering, but then we, 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 we follow this up with this promise. This promise says that after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Romans chapter 8 verse 18 says, by Paul as he's writing, he says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. These sufferings are tough, they are hard, but even at their worst, they will not compare in magnitude with the glory that will be revealed to us in the future. Meaning that the glory of God, it will be so fierce and strong that the suffering of this present time will be forgotten. You say, how? How? My pain is so strong that how in the world can I get through it, much less it be forgotten someday? That's the beauty of the gospel. Listen, if this world was all that we had to live for, then we might as well be doomed to sit in our sackcloth and ashes for the rest of our lives. But because of the hope that is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we will sit in our sackcloth and ashes for a while, but we are not condemned to do so forever because we can truly consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth being compared with the glory that is going to be revealed to us in the future. So yes, we sit in our sackcloths and ashes for a while. But we do so with hope. So now we come back to Romans chapter 5 and we read in verse 3. Not only that. So not only do we have peace with God. Not only do we have access to God. But we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Listen to me. You may be a weary traveler on this road of life, but God does not waste suffering. He is going to produce something beautiful out of the ashes, even if that something beautiful is not something that you ever see while you're here on this earth. We read here that suffering produces endurance. How many of us need endurance for the Christian walk? I know I do. Endurance produces character. We all need stronger character. Character produces hope. Boy, I need a dose of hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I want you to imagine with me a hot summer day in which you've been working outside, you're thirsty, you're tired, your body is exhausted. But then you take a glass of cold lemonade and you put it up to your lips and you pour it into your mouth. And what does it do? It brings refreshment. It brings strength. 
It soothes your hot, suffering body. That is what the love of God is to the suffering Christian. The love of God is poured into the life of those who are suffering, and it is poured in through the indwelt Holy Spirit. Let me, let me close this morning with an illustration. And this is actually something that happened um, <clears throat> earlier this week, and, and it reminded me of what we're talking about today. Um, sometimes during the night, one of our four boys will come, and, and for whatever reason, it could be because they're afraid or just because they can't sleep or uh, the rain is beating down on the roof and, uh, roof, and so they want to come and, and, and see us. But they'll come and, and, and climb in the bed with, with Hillary and myself. And most often it's Mason. He's our youngest. He's four years old. He seems to wake up more than the other, four boy, the other three boys. But this, this last week, there was one night that I could hear him coming. And, and we can always tell which kid is coming by the way that they either walk or run. Um, some kids run. <laughs> Others walk, and Mason walks. He came and he, he walked and stood beside our bed, and because he can't climb up in the bed, um, he just stood there. And so I reached over and I picked him up and I put him in the bed. But as I grabbed him, I could feel him shaking with fear. Something had scared him badly, and whether it was a dream or, or something else, I don't know. But he's shaking in fear. Now there's room on my pillow, but it was clear he didn't want the pillow. And I've got my arm kind of wrapped around him. And, and instead of going for the pillow, he goes right here for my bicep. He lays his head right there on my bicep. He tucks himself in just as close as he could get to me. He's holding on to me tightly. And it didn't take long, and I could feel the shaking from fear start to diminish. Not long after that, his body started to relax. And before too long after that, he, he fell asleep still tucked in close next to me. And as he's laying there sleeping and I'm trying to keep my arm from falling asleep, I couldn't help but think about how similar that was to what we're talking about here today. How many times are we filled with fear or suffering or pain or heartache? And as, as Christians who have peace with God, we've already got that established relationship with God. We've got this complete access to our heavenly dad. So we come to him in the dead of night when things are at their worst and we lay our head on his shoulder and he soothes our weary souls. His love is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, he says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Here's a couple of realities for us this morning. Number one, there is no true rest for your soul unless you have peace with God. There is no true rest for your soul unless you have peace with God. You can try to substitute that peace from God, the peace of God, the peace with God, with all sorts of things in this life. But you will not find true peace for your soul 
unless you have peace with God. Next, if you have peace with God, then never forget that you've got complete access to God. If you have peace with God, never, compl- never forget that you have complete access to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then you can rejoice in suffering. Knowing that God's love is poured into your heart. That God's love is poured into your heart. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And by way of invitation today, I want to simply do something that our family did last night. Um, Last night before bed, our family was praying and was simply saying these words together. And I would invite you, just as you're seated in your seat, open up your hands, lay them in your lap in front of you, lift it upward, and sing this with me if you know the words. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you, my one defense, my righteousness, oh God, how I need you. One more time. Lord, I need you, oh, I need Father, teach us what it means to need you, to want you so badly that nothing else in this world will satisfy us. Thank you that we can have peace with you. Thank you that we can have access to you. And thank you that we can rejoice in suffering because we have our eyes on a prize that maybe we can't fully see yet, but that we know is coming. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.